Welcome to the Mind Your P's and Q's podcast with Mind Your Manners Mediation. I'm your host, Attorney Abby Godless, chatting with you about important family law topics and giving you tips for navigating Arizona divorce and custody. Let's get chatting. As I settle into the changes with my firm and just getting back fully on track with the podcast, and some of those tweaks as well. I have no announcements today, so we are gonna get right into the topic of cohabitation agreements. And cohabitation agreements are essentially prenups when there is no wedding on the horizon for one reason or another. And we'll get into those details a little bit better in just a couple minutes. But the initial points I want to make are that cohabitation agreements are legal in Arizona. They are based in just basic contract principles that would allow any two adults uh, to freely contract for themselves for whatever purpose. So the key here with the cohabitation agreement specifically will be to ensure that those basic contract requirements are met. So that includes things like ensuring that there is mutual consent, that both of you do 100% agree to the details included in your agreement. That means the standard issue, there's no fraud, there's no duress, no coercion, all of those types of uh, bad behaviors, so to speak. I know that is uh, really putting it lightly and generally, but I think you follow my sentiment. Uh, similarly, we always discuss that agreements cannot run afoul of the law. Same here, you can't be agreeing to things that are illegal. That said, you do have a lot of freedom within what you can contract for that is legal. You do need consideration. This is a like the foundational idea of contracts and that is just that the agreements you're making isn't giving either party the full sweep. That each of you gives something and each of you gets something. Now, in the context of cohabitation agreements, oftentimes consideration will be met, just understanding that there is this mutual intent to come up with this overarching agreement and to actually adhere to it, that both of you are going to abide and that in and of itself, setting out the terms of how you will cohabitate is enough of giving and receiving for the courts to find your agreement valid. You do want clear and understandable language. While in theory, this could certainly include legalese drafted by an attorney, honestly, these types of agreements are for you and your day-to-day. Why complicate that with just really dense and 
unnecessarily flowery legalese. You don't need it. Just put it in plain English so that you both know what the agreement is intended to be, that both of you can easily follow it, that there's not going to be any type of question or confusion about your respective rights and obligations under the agreement. And finally, like the prenup, like the agreements for a final decree in a divorce or custody matter, you must have full disclosure. You must each be aware of the assets and the debts or more overarching liabilities so that it is clear that things are fair and understood and that, again, one of you is not fully taking advantage of the other, that there's going to be some awful surprise in the future leading to some chaotic dispute. The idea here is that like a prenup, a cohabitation agreement is there as an insurance policy. You don't want to need it. You don't want to have to rely on it. But God forbid you are to break up or especially because there's no marriage here. Also, God forbid one of you were to pass away this is independent of any other estate planning documents when we're focused on the the death option but in either scenario you're not married you are cohabitating there's likelihood you may have children involved as well this is your chance to set forth what you and your partner want to happen during your relationship and again, God forbid one of you passes away without those marital benefits, the just some of the securities that having that piece of paper saying you're legally married can offer. This is the protection when you don't have those built-in protections. So who actually should be considering a cohabitation agreement? Well, first and foremost, I'm truly not sure how common this thought pattern is, um, but on the chance that you're familiar with common law marriage and basically banking on the fact that you and your partner have lived together long enough, holding yourselves out as a married couple and any of the other common law marriage requirements, well, unfortunately, if you are counting on qualifying for a common law marriage and being able to rely on the associated rights, unfortunately, in Arizona at least, you're out of luck. Arizona does not recognize common law marriage. It's not a thing. So the very first category of couples is that if you guys were counting on just living together and holding yourselves out as a married couple. And again, all of those key requirements that a common law marriage would need to see to meet the burden that you do, in fact, have a common law marriage it, because it doesn't exist. The only other way to get those rights is through a traditional marriage. In either regard, if you don't have the marriage, you have to get those wishes and agreements in writing get the signatures on the bottom line, and make sure that what you want to happen has legal effect behind it. Similarly, if you don't have firm marriage plans, 
you should also be considering if a cohabitation agreement would be right. These are the couples who just say, hey, if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. You may be somewhat formally engaged. You may not be engaged at all. But the key in this middle ground scenario is that you definitely have no plans in the immediate. You have no date in mind. You are not planning a wedding. You have just open-ended, if it happens, it happens. If it's meant to be, it will occur. That is totally noble. Like no one's saying you have to be married. But if you're not going to be married and you're going to live together, and especially if you're going to have kids and have a family together without the protections that marriage can offer, then this is the security instead. And finally, the third category is going to be the hard line. This is the couples who truly know they are never going to marry. Everything is fine and dandy as it is. Why do we need the piece of paper telling us what we feel in our hearts? And again, none of these are like the right answer is what is right for you, your life, your situation. But if you truly have no plans to ever wed and you are in a long-term relationship, living and potentially having kids with your partner, this is the time where a cohabitation agreement can be really helpful and really powerful. And I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but in these three times, really pause and consider whether getting your wishes and agreements in writing is appropriate. And more often than not, the answer is going to be that you should have a cohabitation agreement put together. Importantly, if and when you decide you are going to get married, you will want to have the cohabitation agreement looked back at and redrafted as a prenup. That is because the prenup is going to make clear that you are now focused on a full marriage, that you are acknowledging the change in the relationship from cohabitating to fully legally entangling yourselves with one another. So before you find out the hard way that a judge is not willing to hear the argument that the cohabitation agreements were meant to continue persisting, even if there's language included in the cohabitation agreement that indicates you would want these same agreements to carry forth if and upon marriage, don't chance that a judge is going to say that's not good enough. Convert the cohabitation agreement to a prenup. Depending how long has passed from the drafting of that cohabitation agreement, it's probably a better idea to have a new agreement put together anyway, regardless of its title, because there's a chance that from the time when you first created the cohabitation agreement to the time now where you are fully moving forward with wedding plans and a full classic traditional marriage, there is a good chance that just the time that has passed warrants some tweaks and updates to your agreements. So for all reasons, I do just want to make clear that if you get into a cohabitation agreement and then do come up with marriage plans, you will need to have a new agreement drafted as a prenup so that there is never a concern that your agreements will be upheld as you intend them to be. 
Remember, this is an insurance policy. You don't want to get bit finding out the hard way that, oh, you're not actually insured for that scenario. Okay, so finally, I just want to cover what specific things you can or should be including in the cohabitation agreement. So I kind of alluded to this at the start when I was saying that you do need to meet those basic contract principles, but now I'm going to make it very explicit and absolutely clear in no uncertain terms whatsoever. Put your agreements in writing and sign them. Most of these agreements legally do require to be written and signed, but even if it is an agreement that could be valid as an oral agreement, as a verbal contract, do not risk that you find out the hard way that no, that particular agreement needed to be in writing. Just put all of them in writing. Now, as far as some of the specific agreements you can be negotiating and putting in writing, well, they're gonna be very similar to the prenup agreements you would be making because this is, again, focused on the idea that, God forbid, you break up or one of you passes away, like the divorce or custody traditional formal proceedings, you would be looking at the different things that you have commingled during your relationship and are now working to reorient as you each then part and go on your own single adventure. So that will include things like property division. You know, first and foremost, backing up like half a step, you can be defining whether you want your property to be traditional, sole and separate, as though you are just dating as individual adults with your own property. Or you can lay out that you do want to operate as though you were a fully married couple and that you want your property acquired during your relationship to be community property effectively. It wouldn't technically be community property since you're not actually married, but that would be the sentiment behind it. It would be jointly owned. It would not be the otherwise default, whatever you each buy as single adults is your soul and separate. And from there, whether you lay out that the property will be soul and separate or joint, you should then already be taking the obvious next step of considering and laying out how you would actually want the property divided upon a breakup. And around the property division and decision as to whether you want sole and separate or joint ownership, you should consider whether you are going to lay out how to actually handle the joint finances while your relationship is still going well. We discussed in the prenup episode that Yes, certain aspects and likely the more common aspects we all think of go to what happens in the event of a split, in the event you actually fully break up, but we have discussed that that is not all that is legally allowed, that you are more than welcome to consider and include provisions that discuss how things will be handled in a variety of contexts during the relationship. So the same thing here. 
if you're not going to have any of that overarching community ownership and obligation, then you likely want to consider laying out how you will share or keep separate different joint finances or other expenses that may be related to your cohabitation. As with all of the things we're discussing today, if you do have children, I highly encourage you to really be thinking through all the different potential agreements you can include because those kids just take whatever concerns you might have that you're trying to protect and get ahead of They just bring it to a whole new level. Why chance messing with any of their stuff if you can make very clear how you and your partner are going to address things while your relationship is fully good and on the up and up, as well as in that worst case scenario that we are trying to insure against. Um, So along with the expenses, that also includes that if there are large debts involved, not just your monthly bills, but that there are credit card debts or other loans outstanding, that you make clear how those debts will be addressed. Support, whether that is child support to a degree Um, Because at the end of the day, anything you agree to on your own, the court is still going to make sure that those agreements are in the best interests of the children. That's never not going to be the final standard when it comes to any agreements relating to the kids. But you can already start considering what you would want child support and, of course, also if you are getting ahead of any what would be spousal support if you were married. Um, But in Arizona, certain states do recognize a version of alimony called palimony that recognizes you're not married, but that other requirements were met that do indicate that there is a need to have help supporting you for this long-term relationship, even though it wasn't a full marriage. Arizona doesn't recognize palimony claims. They recognize either you're married and we can look at the eligibility and entitlement for spousal maintenance or you're not married, the end, or at least to them, the end. Um, But that's where you guys are just coming up with your own agreement and contract outside of court, behind the scenes, ahead of time. And you can lay out what you would want that quote unquote palimony to look like. The reason I say quote unquote is just because, as I have mentioned, Arizona doesn't formally recognize the claim, but that is the term for this type of agreement and support. You can set forth that, yes, partner A will support partner B at this amount for this length of time or whatever other details you see fit. Beyond the child support element, if you are already having kids, this is a definite immediate consideration. But even if you don't already have kids, but you guys are in agreement that you would like kids, that you both are going to, at the appropriate times, take steps to start a family together, then you can also already be laying out other child-related details. What would you want the legal decision-making and parenting time to look like? Do you want to lay out provisions for assisting with college and higher education? 
again, I just want to make clear that the court is still going to always make sure that the child agreements really meet all the more nuanced standards and thresholds they need to see so that the court is assured that the kids have everything they need, that everything's in their best interests and is not going to create more havoc. But otherwise, you can already, like the prenup, be getting ahead of most of the details you would need to address upon a divorce or separation. And the way that a decree would require you to lay out how to resolve disputes before going straight back to court, I highly encourage, but you definitely are allowed to consider including provisions that do detail whatever alternative dispute resolution you're going to try before bringing a dispute to court. Um, And the final item that you want to get in there is a provision that covers how to amend or revoke this agreement. In the prenup world, the statutes do provide these types of details. But in the cohabitation agreement world, because they are relying on general contract principles, this isn't specified to any particular agreement. So you do want to lay out what the procedure would be in order to amend or revoke this agreement. My general recommendation, all other things being equal, would be that at a very minimum, you should require that amendments or revocations both occur in writing and that they both not just be put in writing, but that that writing then be signed by each of you. You can come up with additional terms as you see fit, but at a minimum, you want each and every iteration of these agreements You want it in a written trail that can be traced and followed if and as needed. So with that, I do hope that this got you thinking that just because marriage isn't for you or isn't immediately for you, but you are in a long-term relationship residing with your partner with or without children and a larger family involved, you can still protect your respective interests. You can lay out how you want your household run during your relationship, as well as the, you know, kind of last resort that we all think of, of making sure you're each protected, God forbid, a breakup or one of you is to pass away. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to stay in the know. Any links mentioned and all credits and permissions can be found in the show notes. I'll catch you in our next episode.